I'm glad to see that a few hardy Chicagoans remain uh, in this modern world. Uh, like many boys of my generation, I went through a phase where I read a lot of science fiction. I devoured novels by Jules Verne, Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, Alan Dean Foster, Arthur C. Clarke, and especially Isaac Asimov. Now, Asimov's writing has not aged that well for me. I don't find him that enjoyable now. Uh, but one short story of his was a real stroke of genius. It's a much anthologized story called Nightfall. And the premise is indebted to Emerson, but it's worked out with plausible scientific detail by Asimov and is very interesting. In the story, a planet is called Lagash, and it's attached to a system of six suns. And these six suns revolve around each other and around Lagash. And this means that it is daytime on Lagash all the time. Well, virtually all the time. Every 2,049 years, all six stars line up in one straight shot, and they get eclipsed by the moon. And for about an hour or so, it's completely dark, except for the stars. And so the people see thousands of stars for the first time. They experience darkness the way we do every night for the first time in their lives, first time in generations. And it's not a happy moment in the story. It's an experience so completely unimaginable uh, that these persons, uh, all of civilization is crushed every 2,000 years. And so in the story, they're trying to anticipate reading what happened 2,000 years ago to see if they can figure out a way to keep from going crazy. Nightfall is an ingenious twist on the fear that we all have of the dark. And we find a variety of ways of making the dark less frightening than it is naturally to us human beings. Christmas time, for example, we put up a lot of lights. These mimic the wonder of the stars, which are actually familiar sights for many of us, especially outside of a big city like Chicago. And perhaps in a place like Chicago, Christmas lights are especially important as reminders of the mystery of heaven and the stars. The great Roman Stoic Seneca alluded to this mystery when he contrasted human beings with other animals. Human beings walk upright and our necks swivel upwards like this. We can look at the heavens, in other words. Animals, uh, other animals tend not to do that. They tend to focus on the ground and on the horizon. The heavens stand for a realm above our normal range of experiences. When our eyes go upward and we see just how expansive the galaxy is, the universe is, we allow our imaginations to roam beyond the quotidian, the normal. We're oriented creatures. We actually have a sense of up and down left and right, and so on. And we have a tendency to see the higher as more important, more substantial. And indeed, this is generally how the ancients and medievals saw the heavens. They were more real than the earth. The earth changed. People came and went. The heavens were permanent. The gods were, were a fixture. The stars didn't move, right? They don't appear to change positions except for the planets. But I want to return to the image of light and darkness because they're everywhere in tonight's readings, if you're listening carefully. They're central to our experiences and memories of Christmas. Here's a question for you. Did God make darkness? Uh, not in any obvious sense. In Genesis 1, when he says, let there be light, and he separates light and darkness, the darkness had already been there as some kind of presence upon the face of the deep. Darkness only has meaning and even a kind of existence only after light is created. But God gives darkness its own quasi-substantial existence because he sets the moon over it. 
calls it night. So why does God allow darkness to persist? What is it for? Symbolically, in our own experience, I think, in our spiritual lives, we equate it with error and sin, with depression, with guilt and fear. In another sense, darkness is just simply ignorance. We can't see in the dark. We don't know what's in front of us. And I call this simple ignorance because it's actually a sense that's required by the sense of wonder that I was talking about before. Uh, we don't wonder about things that are obvious and right in front of our faces as, as much as we should. Missing from the planet of Lagash was this sense of wonder, a sense of a universe beyond these six suns. And that kept the inhabitants in a state of false knowledge because they thought all there was was this little solar system. The vertigo of seeing the stars for the first time overwhelms them and doesn't allow an accommodation for the imagination. When we look upward, it's easy to lose our balance. We can get dizzy. We can get dizzy just because uh, we don't normally stand this way, but also because if we get a sense of just how miniature our worlds are, how vast the reality is beyond our immediate concerns, we start to realize how ignorant we are of what is really important from God's standpoint. And admitting our own ignorance and admitting our darkness is the first step to opening ourselves to God as God truly is and not as we would expect him to be or demand or deduce him to be. And so it is that God allowed darkness to persist in the world as a reminder of our limitations and the limits of our awareness and understanding. And indeed, as we hear in the first reading tonight, it's a people that walks in darkness that sees the great light of God's advent. And now, from this perspective, the other aspects I mentioned of darkness become clearer. The people who walked in darkness, this wasn't just ignorance, but it was a kind of ignorance. But they are burdened and enslaved, oppressed, enfeebled by suffering. And they are also ignorant. Why is this happening to us? Have we done something wrong? Is God going to save us? Is this all there is? And it's just such persons who ask these kinds of questions who are suffering from oppression, from confusion and grief. Those are the persons for whom God has the great compassion that God visits. Tomorrow we're going to hear this amazing statement from the opening of the Gospel of St. John. The Word became flesh. God is revealing the meaning, the, the reason for his cosmos to us by speaking his logos, the Word that is his Son. He's making our experience uh, make sense, illuminating us with true light. Not, not the light that our eyes can see, but the light that our minds can comprehend. And to prepare ourselves to receive this word, we must in some sense be ready to walk in darkness, to acknowledge the paucity of our own understanding of things, our constant need of enlightenment, if our minds are ever to become even moderately adequate to God's reality. And by becoming flesh... God, as it were, puts on a kind of darkness for us so that we can see him because we can't see him as he is. We're not used to that kind of brightness yet. He puts on the darkness of changing material reality so that we can look at him and gradually acclimate ourselves to his brilliance and glory. And when God appears again, it's not as anyone would have expected or demanded or deduced. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. His glory is muted for our sakes. He's not placed where a child normally goes, but where food normally goes. Ultimately, he is hanging from a cross, a victim of deceit, envy, and cowardice. This 
is how God explains himself to us and explains us to ourselves. It is significant that the Son of God chose the night as his time of birth and the time of his resurrection. And he chose the day for his death and allowed the eclipse of the sun at that moment as if to say, look beyond what you see normally. Look beyond what is typical for you, what you already know, the immediate realm. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. From above, from the realm of what is more real and substantial, Christ, the Son of God, has descended into the womb of the Virgin Mary, into the manger, into our darkness, into our very death. So that by receiving this Logos, the Word of God made flesh, we might ascend with him back into heaven, into what is unfamiliar, what feels like darkness now, but that which is truly light in the Lord, the heavenly realms of the angels who sing his praises this very night. And in saying yes to God's invitation, may we acclaim him, the one Lord and Redeemer, joining with those same angels and saying, Glory to God in the highest.